podcast hosting provided by Transistor. If you want to host your own show, head over to Transistor.fm and start a 14-day free trial. Hello and welcome to Regen, the e-racing podcast, episode 30, and we have a great episode for you today. This week we are joined by Jawad from Hit the Apex podcast. Uh, I've been a listener to Hit the Apex from the start, and I really appreciate that it's a solo show, and I, I, I don't know how you do that, Gerard, but um, the content's great, and um, yeah, we're, we're looking forward to having you on the show. Thanks, uh, Dino, for having me on. Um been listening to your podcast as well for about a year now and uh i don't watch every formula e race but you know from what you guys cover it's pretty good and um yeah happy to just be on to talk something a bit different today as well as far as what i do on my own podcast i'll give formula e and electric racing a mention here or there but you know obviously formula one's the bulk of it and um yeah delving into other sports as well as you mentioned um last week at the end of your last show Brilliant. And of course, we are also joined by Chris Soulsby, uh, journalist and international man of mystery. Hello. Great to be back <laughs> up. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you've uh, got, your, got your cup of tea in front of you, of course. Yeah, I've actually drank my cup of tea already. I was really eager this morning and I was drowned myself. But yeah, yeah. Brilliant. My camera made it. Topped up, topped up. Excellent. Well, um, I'm going to give you the first uh, media of the week, Chris. Okay, brilliant. So uh, my media of the week is, well, I decided to embrace my inner child last night, but I got to see Toy Story 4. Uh, Toy Story 4 is great. You know, I love Toy Story. I grew up with Toy Story. And my God, Toy Story 4 is it's something else. It's, it's fantastic. It's uh, basically about a spork. It's a new toy uh, having an identity crisis, and it's it's something else. It really is. It's it's good though. I haven't I've other sold it there, but um, check it out. You know, it's got a little gang in. It's got a bit of Tom Hanks and Tim Allen. You know, it's uh, solid really, and the spork's funny. Uh, the yeah, spork's what, called what Forky, is, but what's a spork? What is the spork? Is that one of the green alien things? You've never used a spork. Oh, you mean the actual spoon it's fork? Like a thing. utensil, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like a spoon crossed with a fork. I mean, I'd be having an identity crisis if I was that, you know? Like, what am I? Am I a spoon? Am I a fork? Am I for soup or, you know, stabbing things like a fork? Jawad, are you a fan of Toy Story? Yeah, actually, um, it's something I grew up with as well. And I think it was actually the original one might have been the first movie I saw in cinema. So I still haven't seen the new one yet. I'd need to get around and go watch it. But yeah, from what I hear, it's pretty good. It's it, Toy Story is just one of those timeless things for me. You can be whatever age and you can still enjoy it. Just that um, idea about growing up with toys and everything you know i know we've come a fair way in kids these days you know the closest thing to a toy they have is like an ipad or something but yeah no i think it should be good yeah i think i'm i'm gonna try and try and check it out i mean i've i I really enjoyed the last lego movie i'd say one of my favorite pixar movies is a bug's life if if you can remember that one oh definitely Yeah. yeah bug's life's good yeah most of those Pixar movies, late 90s, early 2000s, they're all up there as some of the greatest, so... Yeah, agreed. Monsters, Inc. is a... Love Monsters, Inc., you know? Fantastic. And Cars. How can you not like Cars as well, the original oh, I ones? Yeah. I went to see Cars 3 at the <laughs> cinema. I got some funny looks, but... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, um, yeah, Jawad, um, moving along, do you have a media of the week for us? Yeah, I've actually been looking forward to contributing to this Media of the Week. And um, for me, we had this documentary on last week um, about an AFL player. For you guys who don't know who what AFL is, it's Aussie Rules Football. And um, 
it was made around Indigenous AFL star Adam Goods, who in the latter part of his career was booed quite a bit and was the subject of a lot of race, uh, racism and racial slurs and everything. So the documentary called The Final Quarter just covers that um, portion of his career and also how it was portrayed in the media. A lot of right-wing media were basically telling him to um, toughen up and to cop it on the chin, but, you know, it shouldn't be something that's acceptable in whether it's sport or in real life, um, racism. And one of the key incidents a few years ago was when there was a 13-year-old girl in the crowd who was... um, chanting racial slurs towards him and he decided to call her out and um that was uh then you know taken the wrong way his intention was to you know basically identify her and say you know this is a kid who's being racist and she needs to be educated to be more accepting and everything so you know people saw that as him bullying a 13 year old girl where the truth is that you know she should be probably brought to not being you know racist and it's just something that in australian society seems to be quite prevalent at the moment whether people know it or not it's almost like a, a thing that's subtly accepted so it was it it got a lot of people talking and that's i guess why i took a lot of interest in it last week so and hopefully you know it has some relevance overseas as well which would be good because at the end of the day for me sport is something that should be what brings everyone together universally whether you're whatever background you're from which country which race religion gender and all that sort of thing so and to see you know there be such conflict around sport like that is it's not great yeah you've definitely hit the nail on the head and in a in a racing context you know we've got the w series and there's been sort of uh a lot of talking about it but to me it doesn't matter who you are in the car as long as you're fast that's it yeah that's right yeah precisely you know so no thank you for that gerard that was really cool um if you send a link we'll put it in the show notes definitely this week for me i was on a formula one podcast the outlap f1 podcast and talking to james and john from chicago and it was really fun i haven't uh i haven't been on a formula one podcast before so uh that was that was quite interesting um apart from the fact where they thought brendan hartley was australian which, <laughs> I don't know. If, I don't know if you want to claim him, uh, Gerard, but um, I think well, us Kiwis would like to keep him. I, you, you can keep him, but regardless of that, I'm I'm a big fan of Brendan Hartley, so I'm not too. I wouldn't say offended or anything by that, but yeah, no. I think a lot of the Kiwi drivers uh, racing all over the world are quite cool as it is. So yeah, you know, <laughs> I'm I'm hoping that uh, the likes of Nick Cassidy and a few other up-and-comers will be knocking on the Formula One door. But um, that aside, uh, yeah, so we've previewed the Formula One uh, German Grand Prix, and boy, was that a race last year. Boy, was that a race. We had Vettel going off in front of the home crowd. We had um, Bottas, uh, you know, this is James. Um, We had just so much. It was. Yeah, it was really cool. So it was a really good race last year. So I hope it uh, lives up to uh, last season's. Yeah, and they are they are previewing that there's going to be rain over the weekend. So perhaps yeah. it might just um, be the same as last year. And I touched on I touched on it actually in my own podcast today um, beforehand that it was really that turning point in the championship because mm-hmm. Vettel's crash, you know. Um, Ever since, you could say he's not been the same driver because we've seen him make mistakes so many times after that and he's really not been the dominant driver that we're used to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, agreed. I think this weekend's going to be very interesting because it actually also marks the halfway point this season. And we have to appreciate right now that Ferrari haven't actually won a race yet and that's mental. That is... (laughs) Crazy, isn't it? Ferrari still haven't won a race, and in pre-season testing, they look like the ones to beat. And, you know, they're, they're nothing, really. Red Bull have beaten them uh, to the, fir- to the first uh, win of the season for another team, which is even madder. 
in all honesty, but they Ferrari need a reset. I think they do. I think they do. Yeah, or just focus on 2020, I guess, now, because yeah. he's 100, more than 100 points behind in the championship is Vettel, so it's it's not looking good anyway for this year, but we'll, we'll contemplate that for another time, hey? Yeah, I was actually looking at the uh, Constructors' Championship just briefly, and um, based on the points that everyone has, if Lewis Hamilton was his own team, he would be in third right now, which is mad. <laughs> what? Yeah. Uh well, maybe you should just start one up and just run one car. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, so um, that was that was an awesome podcast, and uh, I definitely definitely want to talk about more Formula One. Um, but as this is a Formula E podcast, we will get right into the news. And a big story to start us off: Andre Lotterer joining Porsche. And I thought that it could be Brendan Hartley, considering he's doing a bit of testing. Um, and no, it was Lotterer that makes the switch. So he's been named the second driver of the, uh, Porsche Formula E team alongside Neil Yarny. And this is, uh, a breakup of Jean Dre. And, um, I just want to hear both of your thoughts as to, is this a good move to go to the big German mark instead of, um, just staying as a number two to Verne or should he have stayed with the winning car? Uh, I don't expect Porsche to come in and be on the pace after a couple of races, and I don't expect them to be as competitive as Mercedes, which have had a year with HWA. Thoughts, guys? I think it's it's a gamble move. It's very much a gamble for a male lottery, isn't it, to go with Porsche. However, I think he might do very well there. Um, I think he posted on social media somewhere, it was like uh, returning to home, because he, he drove for Porsche in the 2017 World Endurance Championship in LMP1, teammate Tijani, of course, and um, yeah, I think it's a gamble, it's definitely a gamble, but I think it could pay off, because Porsche's been uh, testing its uh, Season 6 uh, package uh, at Califat, I do believe, and the mileage that they've actually completed is massive. Uh, they've completed a lot of running, uh, a lot of mileage, and it's, it's impressive from what everyone's seen so far. And um, living under Vern, fair enough. Uh, we know that I think Vern's a shareholder in DS to Cheetah. But with Porsche, it gives Lotter the chance to um, spread his wings, get a more serious opportunity potentially. But of course, as the only driver with serious Formula E experience as well, he could very easily build the team. And I think that's what he's seeing. So yeah, I think it's a good move from him in all honesty. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that as well, um, because he's got the experience that Yanni doesn't. And Mm -hmm. also because, you know, he's just had that affinity affiliation with um, Porsche and previously Audi when he was in the World Endurance Championship. And I've always been a big fan of Lotterer and I guess sometimes in single seaters he doesn't often get the um, plaudits he deserves. Yeah, he was number two to Vern for a few years at Tachita now. So, you know, as you said as well, it just gives him the opportunity to spread his wings and everything. But going back to what you said before, Dino, um, about expecting Brennan Hartley to get that seat, I think perhaps one of the things that went against him in the end was um, getting that Toyota drive in the World Endurance Championship because there are there are a few clashes on the calendar, I believe, between Formula E and the WEC for next season because Sam Bird as well, he had to forfeit his um, Ferrari GT drive so he could uh, race in the Formula E for next season. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I think that would have been a, yeah, I think that would have been a contributing factor as well in all honesty. And I think they're looking at changing the Spa six hours race uh, so that doesn't clash with Seoul. But yeah, I think that's definitely a contributing factor. Yeah, I think that news actually came out today. Yeah. So okay, they have right. changed it, yeah. 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 But it it obviously affects a lot of drivers as well. I know I don't think Neil Jarney's gonna do um WEC next season. A lot of it was on the back burner. But for the likes of Sebastian Buemi in particular, that's um you know, that's a, it's a big decision to make. Does he risk missing two or three Formula E races to try and take another title or 
you know, it's a hard call really for all all parties involved. Yeah, and I guess for Buemi, I guess it depends on where Nissan's form is in the uh, in Formula E as well. So he probably has more chances of winning a title with Toyota again than he does with uh, Nissan at the moment. That's the thing, especially with the uh, twin MGU ban as well for next season. So Nissan are on the uh, the back or the back foot, so to speak, but they'll, they'll get it sorted and emerging. I think they probably had a backup plan uh, when that all started, to be fair. I think they would have just gone hell for leather on the single MGU, and if they could use the one from this year, then all good. But um, I think, yeah, they'll probably be right up there next season as well. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think they've started testing yet. I'm not sure, though. All that Roland said, we haven't, but... <laughs> he could be leading you astray, Chris. He could be leading you astray. I know. Who knows? <laughs> Light or fellow northerner. Ish. <laughs> oh, criminal. Alrighty. Uh, minimum driver weight to increase to 80 kilos. I think they are trying to get this more in line with Formula One uh, and um, to sort out the ballast, uh, especially for the, the larger drivers. Lucas Degrassi, Andre Lotterer, um, they've been sort of encouraged, uh, in brackets, I guess, to lose weight through different diets, different training regimes uh, in order to hit the minimum weight targets, which currently stands at 75 kilos. Now, that is really slim. Uh, I am not a not a tall guy, and I think if I was at 75, I would. Uh, it would be a very, hmm, I don't think I'd want to be there. I think 80's more achievable and probably healthier for these drivers as well. I'm 68 kilograms, so I actually uh, slightly nicely for that. Oh, well, let's let's put you in the seat then. Yeah, I'd probably have to do a bit of work to get back to that 75. But yeah, no, um, speaking from experience, when Formula One brought in those new rules in 2014 um, and they had the heavier cars, which meant the drivers had to be real um, slim, I remember seeing them at the first race in Melbourne, how it, they just looked like ironing boards, basically. That's how thin they were. And then there was that famous story, of course, of um, Jean-Eric Verne, I think, actually passing out after the race in one of the cars yeah, because yeah, of... That's right. So, you know, and then typically your your bigger drivers have always struggled. So, you know, you've mentioned there Degrassi and Lotterer, but, you know, in F1 there was always Mark Webber who was typically a bigger guy, um, Nico Hulkenberg as well at the moment. So, you know, it's good that they're releasing, uh, they've actually updated this and increased that weight um, for the guys and perhaps have it sort of similar across the board too. So you mentioned that it's to match the Formula One regulation. So it's good, I guess, by the FIA to have like a um, a uniform policy in regards to this. Yeah, I think it also means it's easier for the drivers to sort of flip between the two series as well. You know, if, if it was a little bit different, then wait is time. So they might not be suitable for one or the other series. Which would be a shame as well. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, yeah. Precisely. It just gives uh, Formula E that consistency. And yeah. <laughs> yep. So unfortunately, this is not going to be something we see in season six. Um, but season seven, this will be coming into effect. Um, and yeah, it's going to be going to be a good change. Alrighty, something a little bit different for you, listeners. Moto E at the Sarsen Ring. E pole classification. Uh, Nicky Tooley with pole and Hector Garzo in second, Eric Granado, Mike DiMiglio and Xavier Simeon make up the top five and this was a little bit interesting, I'm not sure if you got to got to watch the Moto E guys? I watched the um, highlights I guess because it was um, on at an odd time for me but yeah I was quite excited to see the first Moto E race, now there was a whole thing Everyone would have heard that the whole paddock went up in flames when they were doing testing uh, many months ago, and then it pretty much cast doubt over whether the championship would be able to run this season. But they were able to rebuild everything and um, be there in Germany for the first race. And um, yeah, they actually, you know, from all accounts, it was a success, I'd say. 
Definitely. I really actually enjoyed it. Yeah, for Murdoe to actually be able to run at the uh, Sashen Ring, as you're calling it, uh, or however you say it, um, I think it's a, it's a really good, remarkable feat, in all honesty, because they did have the whole paddock destroyed, as um, Jared said, but yeah, it, it's, a good, it's a good feat for them, and it's a good achievement to actually get racing. And um, I haven't seen the race, but I'm reading a race report. It sounds like a real corker of a race. I quickly looked at the, uh, the highlights. And um, yeah, exciting stuff, really. I think it's got a, a lot of potential to um, you know, really grow as well. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, so, so looking down the sheets for qualifying, uh, the bottom two were not classified, and that was Jesco Raffin and Maria Herrera. Um, one of them went out before uh, the lights went green, and one of them was too late going out. So the countdown clock on the pit lane uh, goes green when it's your turn to go out, and it has your number on it. And you only have a certain period of time. I think it's about 45 seconds to get out and start qualifying. And if you go too early or go too late, you miss your shot at qualifying. And yeah, disqualified. So back of the grid. Which interesting way to do it. Yeah, it is an interesting way to do it. And I guess because they're operating on such a tight schedule because it's part of that MotoGP weekend and they've got Moto2 and Moto3 as the typical undercards and then they've basically squeezed Moto E in. So like in in a typical day, on a typical Sunday when you have your MotoGP race at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, I think the Moto E is run at like 10 o'clock in the morning or maybe 9 o'clock in the morning even before the the other guys have their warm-up sessions so I guess just the time is a big factor when it comes to that and that's why we see that they've only got seven laps as well in the in the race which we'll talk about yeah absolutely so Nicky Tooley uh had a yeah a pretty good start but um it seemed like he was under pressure and kept falling back Epic battle at the front, I would say. Uh, Eric Granado pretty much losing out and um, taking the long way around, but fighting back. Uh, I thought there was a lot going on in this race, to be honest. Um, And the top four sort of were in a class of their own, and the midfield was just a scrap. The midfield was just incredible. I really enjoyed watching that, actually. So um, we had... Canepa and Cassidy, um, Nicholas Terrell, Sete Gibbonow, which I sort of recognised, and um, he's 46 years old, 46 years old, still, you know, still absolutely crushing it. Um, Yeah, there was a lot to like in this race. Initial thoughts on the race, we'll start with you, Chris. I mean, the race start was obviously uh, mental from what I understand. Yeah, Tilly make the poor, poor start. Uh, my man Bradley Smith, who I believe I called to be a winner this season, um, he shot into the lead, lost that to Hector Garzo. Um, we, of course, can't forget the, uh, the crash. Um, who crashed? Uh, Salvadori. Salvadori. And that obviously brought the race to an early, early end because uh, that was a red flag. That was a big old crash, wasn't it? Yeah, it was actually. But yeah, uh, solid, really. Solid race. Solid race. Definitely got a potential. Uh, it was shortened to seven laps, I believe, wasn't it? Uh, instead of eight? Yes, that's correct. Uh, the final results were based on lap five. It's quite. It's a shame that it ended on lap five, you know, but it's a shame that it's, um, the schedule's so tight, isn't it? That's a thing. But yeah, it's got, it's got a lot of potential. Enjoyed. Uh, yeah, um, again, pretty amazing race. And I guess anything on two wheels just instantly adds extra chaos. And um, I mean, if you guys have seen a Moto2 or Moto3 race, like those Moto3 races, you could have the top 10 all like side by side trying to hit the finish line at the end. And um, that's basically what we saw with the top four there um, with Nicky Tooley eventually coming out on top. And Hector Garzo, you got to feel sorry for him missing out on a podium there behind uh, Mike Demeglio. But yeah, it was just, it just, it didn't feel like they were racing electric bikes. And I think that's sort of the, everyone sort of gets scared. It's like, oh, they're, you know, 
electric bikes, electric cars, you know, is it going to be as good as um, the other, you know, racing in petrol? But no, it didn't feel like it was any different to like a Moto2 or Moto3 race. Um, I think they even said on lap time comparison, they're not too far, like they're in between a Moto2 and a Moto3 bike. So no, that's because they're carrying extra weight because of the um, batteries on board those bikes. But I would really like to see how this develops and um, technology-wise, perhaps we can get longer races eventually as well. And, you know, if it can become its own standalone series in the future, that would be something exciting too. Because when you look at the depth of talent on this grid already, Bradley Smith, as you mentioned, um, who's also currently Aprilia's test rider and he was on the grid for MotoGP for quite some time, Demeglio as well, Alex DeAngelis, uh, Sete Gibbonau, who, you know, as we all famously remember, was one of Valentino Rossi's great rivals back in the early 2000s, Maria Herrera's a, uh, the first female champion in Supersport series as well randy de so yeah the list goes on and even the teams as well it's good to see um big names from grand prix motorcycle racing like io uh, mark vds tech 3 grassini pramac they're all on board in this championship so it just goes to show you how they are um all embracing it and um you know it'll become something pretty big in the future i bet nice yeah i definitely don't know much about the bike so it's good to have some uh, proper insight uh are you a a big moto gp fan um i will watch it every weekend um i guess it's sort of i guess for an outsider it kind of will remind you of formula one with the domination of mark marquez at the moment um who just looks unbeatable and it doesn't look like he's going to have any competition this year for the championship but yeah it's it's one of those things where it gets you at the edge of your seat it's a different whole different ball game to like a formula one or formula e um you know the racing is really close but that's because they're on two wheels and the whole gladiatorial side of it is really what will get you on the edge of your seat so i do enjoy watching it for that reason and they're just freaks though the guys who are on those bikes there's some of the things they do like marquez in a weekend even though he wins everything he'll crash about 10 times or look like he's about to fall off his bike but get back on it so there's a reason why these guys are called aliens so yeah if you if you haven't um got around to watching a race this year i'd I'd highly recommend it. Yeah, I think I might. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a, a bike person, in all honesty. I think I've watched one Moto GP race, which was Qatar. I think it was the season opener many moons ago, and I really enjoyed that. But I um, didn't watch any more. But, you know, I might, I might try and get into the, uh, the good old Moto GP if you get the chance. Yeah. And I wanted to touch on Sete Gibbonau, 46 years old. Valentino Rossi's getting on as well can the guys stay longer on the bikes i know kimmy's kimmy raikkonen's quite old in formula one yeah he's getting on and he's still going strong you know still putting out the performances uh do you think the nature of the bikes makes it easier or would the cars do you think make it easier to have a longer career because 46 that's incredible i reckon um it would be easier in a car but then in a car as well, it would depend on what type of car. I reckon if you're driving um, or racing, sorry, I should say, in a touring car or a GT car, you know, you'll find a lot of drivers who sort of are on the, you know, one side of 40. Um, I look at supercars here in Australia, Craig Lowndes raced um, up until after 40, still racing now as well. And then, um, Kimi, as you said, he's going to be 40 next year. I reckon on a bike, it's a lot more harder just because of the physical demand that's on the bike. Uh, so to see Jibber now at 46 actually doing this is quite, it's quite rare and surreal. And I think of uh, John McGuinness, who's one of those crazy Isle of Man TT riders, and he's also in his 40s and is still out there racing at the most one of the most dangerous races in the world, which is the TT. So, um, yeah, I think on a bike it would be much harder. But if you've got the fitness there and you um, are not really suffering from <laughs> from old age, I should say. Oh, God, the people are going to hate me for saying that. But, yeah, if you're, if you're still feeling fit enough, you can do anything. 
Yeah, I mean, talking about all the drivers, for me were Pedro Lamy and uh, Jan Magnussen, who are prolific sports car drivers, driven for Corvette, Corvette and AMR in a way. But, yeah. I'm not sure. I mean, I, I don't know anything about MotoGP, obviously. I don't know a sausage about MotoGP in all honesty. But, um, yeah. Yeah, it depends on the d- demand of the car, really. Um, with Formula 1, obviously, you've got your high Gs. Uh, you know, it, it's, you've got to be finely tuned. Um, it's very important to, to stay fit to cope with the demands of the car. With sports car racing, well, not sports cars, but touring cars, GT cars, you won't get that, that, same, uh, that same demand. The acceleration isn't as um, heavy. The braking isn't as punchy. The Gs won't be as high. Obviously, with MotoGP, though, I mean, I think it depends on how mental you are, really. <laughs> and I guess at the end of the day, yeah, that's yeah. the big, big thing. So, um, Rossi, I think between him and the next oldest rider on the MotoGP grid at the moment, there is like a a five-year or six-year gap, I think. So, you know, he is really in a class of his own when it comes to that. And then when you look at uh, Moto E as well, Gibbonow is like by far older than the next oldest rider on that grid. Yeah. Okay. Next race is at the Red Bull ring in Spielberg, Austria, and I'm going to watch it. I'm I'm a new fan. It's really exciting. So um, yeah, can't wait. I will watch it as well, I think. I think any race at the Red Bull Ring is worth watching. If you see saw the F1 race there this year in the last few years worth of MotoGP races, it's been pretty exciting, so count me in as well. It wouldn't be a Regen podcast without a Formula E. I don't know. It's not really news, but uh, some talk about Formula E. So I was scouring Reddit the other day, and there's a post by uh, JVM23. And it is a Formula E wish list uh, for 2019-2020. And I will read it and then we'll talk about a few of these drivers uh, who we want to see in next season. Um, And of course, there's a couple of people there that if they don't get into Formula One, it's obviously a shame. But, um, you know, could they find a home in Formula E? So here we go. I've had a massive wish list of drivers that I've wanted to see in Formula E. Some have been and gone, and now there's a fresh update. Jack Harvey, 2012 British F3 champion, two times Indy Lights runner-up, and races in selected rounds of IndyCar. Jake Hughes, uh, 2013 BRDC F4 championship, and he races with HWA and F3, and tested in Formula E with Neo. Uh, Raphael Marcello, uh, which Chris has mentioned on numerous occasions, if you've been listening recently. Uh, as the Euro F3 champion, uh, the Blancpain GT racer with Mercedes and tested in Formula E with HWA and Dragon. Uh, Marvin Kirchhofer, uh, Nobuharu Matsushita, who 2014 Japanese F3 championship uh, champion, and he's currently in GP2 or F2. Uh, Tio Alanas, uh, Luca Giotto, needs no introduction. Formula 2 weren't race winner. Uh, and um, yeah, he's got a decent pedigree. Joey Mawson, Joel Erickson, which again Chris has mentioned. Uh, and he's sort of BMW back driver and tested with Virgin. Dennis Olsen, uh, Sasha Fenestras, Enem Ahmed, and Santiago Arusia. And should they fail to get into F1, Jack Aitken, uh, Formula 2 racer. Antoine Hubert, one of my personal favourites actually, he's, he's been brilliant in F2 this year, and Callum Eilot. So, who do we want to see on the grid next season, and who is most likely to get on the grid next season? We'll start with you, Chris. Long Looking through that though, Martin Kirchhoff, that's a name I haven't heard in years. Uh... Like, I completely forgot Melvin Kirkhoff was a thing, in all honesty. <laughs> um, but, oh, it's a good question. Do I want to see in Formula E personally? Um, do they have to be on that list? No, they don't have to be on that list, but it is a good, uh, yeah, a good starting point. Um, 
Put him in the same team as uh, Felipe Massa. Let's uh, have Fernando is faster than you part two. Oh, no. Uh, I mean, you could put him with Stoffel Van Dorn and see how Stoffel goes the second time round. Uh, I hope Stoffel does better this time round. That would be great. <laughs> no, I think I would like to see um, Nico Muller, actually. Uh, he's currently Audi's reserve driver and he races in DTM with Audi as well. Um, but Nico Muller is fast. Nico Muller is incredibly fast. Um, if Daniel App wasn't signed, re-signed by Audi Sport Lab Schaeffler, uh, it was probably going to be Nico Muller who got the chance in the car. He's done lots of testing work for Audi, and I, I want to say that he holds the lap record for he doesn't, I'm lying, uh, so to ignore that. Um, yeah, I think Nico Muller's a, a name that I would like to see there. I think Jay Hughes potentially could... Uh, could be a call for Formula E. But of course with Max Gunther as well, uh, we saw him shoot to Formula E straight from Formula 2. And it could be a possibility that we might see a Formula 2 driver um, go to Formula E, um, depending on how Jay Penske's feeling on the day. Um, but, ooh, yeah. Fernando Alonso, <laughs> what do you think? Jawad, thoughts? Um, well, just going off the list, I guess, um, Matsushita would be a good bet to go into Formula E if, uh, I guess he's been around the junior formula for a while now and hasn't really come knocking at anyone's door. So, you know, time would be right for him to sort of progress now. And Formula E, as we've seen, has been a good platform for some of these guys who can't break through to Formula One. And, you know, it's, it's been great to to see um one of the names that really stood out to me as well Joey Mawson obviously hailing from Sydney Australia and he's um over there in Europe racing in those junior categories now and if there isn't a spot for him straight away in Formula One for example then it would be great to have him in Formula E and for an Aussie driver to be racing in Formula E would be good for the category to get some attention here in Australia too because not very often does it get a mention. I know that there's some chatter here and there about potentially bringing a race over here to have it. Um, I mean, last week I read something about it uh, possibly having a race in Perth or something on some forum. I'm like, that'd be that'd be a weird one. <laughs> but yeah, no, Joey Mawson would be great from an Australian perspective, but you know, those F2 guys, you can't really just sit and, sit and watch them in F2 for the rest of your life. You know, guys like Aitken and whatnot, it would be good to see them step up. And Alexander Albon was destined to go over to race with Nissan this year until that last-minute deal with Toro Rosso came through. So, you know, it goes to show you that, yeah, Formula E is really, really good and the depth of talent on the grid invites these guys to say, well, you know what, forget about F1. If they don't want me, I'll go somewhere where I am wanted and can be successful as well. And that's where, I guess, it's good to see that the championship's got that high level of credibility behind it too. I think I'd like to see Nick DeVries in the car, just personally. Yeah. That's a good answer. I I think he's probably, he's, I don't know. He's destined to win. He's looking good in Formula 2, but do you think there'll be a spot for him on the Formula 1 grid? And I don't think there will be. So mm. to keep, you know, I, I think guys like that, they need to keep their eyes on them. Um, and I think, you know, to be doing well first season as a rookie in Formula E, you know, you sort of you sort of think, well, you know, they're adaptable. It's a little bit of a different series. Um, and yeah, I think it couldn't really do him any harm. You know, his stock's high at the moment. And if he does well in Formula E against the likes of Vern, um, Bird, etc., I think that'll only sort of have have more people looking at him. Yeah, and especially if they can get him at his age that he is now as well, you know, and be sort of a long-term prospect. He can have success in Formula E. Then later on down the track, maybe... If a spot opens up in F1 or in another category, he can make the switch as well. So, you know, it would be great for a, a super young driver like De Vries to, to go over to Formula E and make a splash. Also, Antoine Hubert. I really like his style of driving. I really do. 
uh, and he is in the same team as Tatiana Calderon. Uh, same car, and he's just miles ahead. Um, he's doing such a great job, and I didn't, yeah, didn't expect him to get race wins, but um, he's managed it. Jack Aitken, of course, and um, Callum Eilat. Yeah, yeah, I could see it, um, but it'd be interesting to see where they where they end up as well. Yeah, I think it's um, with the current Formula Two grid in particular. Personally, I can't see many of them potentially racing an F1 uh, in the future. Just like you said with Nick DeVry, I think he's a fantastic driver, but unfortunately, I don't think he'll get that F1 seat. Um, I think he's probably destined for WEC or, or Formula E even. Great driver, but not quite race seat material. Maybe it's a good reserve. Um, but again, Jack Aitken. Um, I can't see him racing an F1 for some reason. I think he's a great driver, very talented. But, yeah, he'd be nice to nice in Formula E. Uh, Antoine Hubert, though, solid driver, really. Ren GP3 champion. Um, doing well with Arden, actually. I think he's seventh in the championship right now in F2. He's had a couple of wins. And uh, Arden haven't been as successful as they would have wanted over, this, over the past few seasons. And uh, yeah, yeah, he's been impressive. He's been really good. Quite like uh, Antoine Huber. There's a lot of talent in the Formula 2 grid. There's a lot there. Uh, and shout out to Nick Cassidy as well. It would be nice to have another Kiwi on the on the grid in Formula E. Sort of strengthen the uh, the pull to have a an Auckland E-Prix or a, a Wellington E-Prix or mm. somewhere here. <laughs> uh, guys, um, there's one more thing on the notes, a a new EV, the Lotus Avija. Yeah, you're wrong. That, um, yeah, I'm, I'm wrong. It, it's apparently pronounced the Lotus Avaya, uh, depending on where you're from. Um, sounds like a really oh, well, posh name, doesn't it? That's what they know. call it over here yeah. in New Zealand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, You could call it the Avija, the Avaya, the Evja or, or something, but apparently it's called the Avaya according to Lotus. Avaya um, just sounds a lot cooler as well. Sounds like a heavy metal band name. I could yeah, you know, tr- yeah. trademark that. <laughs> yeah, Avaya. Yeah, com. Yeah. <laughs> isn't it? Um, but yeah, Lotus, uh, the great British ba- brand, of course, not band, um, ooh. <laughs> ooh, uh, have launched this new car, Lotus Avaya. It uh, translates from Hebrew as living to breathe, uh, apparently. Um, and it's first electric hypercar, which obviously makes me very happy. And it's a new dawn, obviously, for Lotus. Uh, it's going to be the world's most powerful production car with 1,972 brake horsepower. Is that even what? Yes, that's nuts. And it's going to have a top speed of well well over 200 miles an hour. Um, it's crazy. Not 60 in like three seconds or something. It can hit not 280 faster than Bugatti Chiron, apparently. It's got a range of, range of 250 miles, and you can charge it fully in 18 minutes. But that, unfortunately, requires a 350-kilowatt charger, and there's only one in the UK, which is in Kent. If anyone <laughs> from Kent listening, you're probably a potential owner of this car. <laughs> um, yeah. But there are only 130 built, and you also need around about one and a half to two million pounds to buy it. So our our rich Kent audience, you know, call up Lotus and see what you can do. Just pocket change. There could potentially be 130 of them in Kent. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> Get more uh, 350 kilowatt charges. You, you might see a oh God Kent, the home of the Lotus, Evija or Evai or Evija. That is really cool. Uh, yeah. Now, is this sort of? Um, I know. Uh, Nick Heidfeld was driving a Mahindra-owned, it starts with P. Uh, the Automobile Pininferia. Yep, that one. They it's made the one. Pininferia Batista, isn't it? Yeah. That's the one. And yeah. that was just in the, you know, like, same sort of brake horsepower range. Um, just crazy. So, yeah, cool to see that there's another one. Yeah, it's, it's nice. You know, it's, it's all going that way. You've obviously got the, the Neo EP9 as well. 
which holds the Nurburgring road car record, I believe, isn't it? Or it might have been beaten. Okay, cool. No idea, yeah. I mean, these sort of things, you're not going to drive them on the road, are you? It's just... I I imagine that (laughs) I imagine that something like this, you would never have traction on the road. Yeah, never. It's just crazy. Um, cool though. Yeah, really cool. I wouldn't mind a Lotus Avaya. Be nice. Maybe if one day they had the right tires for it, you know. I feel like a lot of road cars are limited by the tires that they're on. So yeah, potentially get some. Nice tyres developed for it, and who knows, it could be on the road. Yeah, move to Kent as well. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, I've always dreamt of living in Kent, you could say, of all places. You live in Kent. <laughs> <laughs> we can talk about if there's anything actually in Kent. Uh, sorry, Kent listeners. Canterbury's <laughs> <laughs> Um Jawad, where can you be found? Uh, time to get your plugs in for Facebook, Twitter, etc. Yeah, so um, I've got two Twitter handles, of course. My personal one, which is at Dr. 46, 46th, um, and also at Hit the Apex Media, which is for the podcast. And on Facebook, we have our page as well, which is Hit the Apex Podcast. You can find, and on Facebook, we basically just, um, or I basically just, um, you know, share things that I find all over the internet in regards to racing, whether it's F1, FE, anything basically, which is um, comes to my interest. I feel like sharing with everyone. And um, yeah, there's a, the website that I write for as well. It's called theraw.com.au. They're a sports website here in Australia, and I basically do all most of the motorsport coverage um, and live blogging for the Formula One races. So, yeah. That's awesome. That's really, really cool. Uh, and you're also, well, you're, from what I can tell, a, a fan of uh, the rugby league and um, a lot of other different sports. So yeah, do, you, rug- do you write about them or, or mainly around motorsport? Mainly just motorsport. I think the other ones are like, just, I like to sit back from afar and uh, just watch it and then occasionally talk about it um on my podcast uh i was pretty big into the the state of origin rugby league series that they had earlier in the year and cricket as well because it's uh, cricket and rugby is what i grew up playing i actually lived in um in hamilton for a few years when i was a kid over there in new zealand so rugby was obviously one of the big things in school and um cricket as well so they're the two sports that i grew up playing and i still watch every now and again as well and the world cup obviously with the cricket this year was uh interesting to watch i felt sorry for the the kiwis to to lose out at the end there but yeah you know for me you know i just love the competition in all the sports that i watch and yeah motorsport though sits at the top for me yeah it definitely does for us too i'd say (laughs) and chris have you been doing any scribbling recently um Actually, yes, you might have seen on Motorsport Week that I had a bit of an exclusive the other day, just loosely gone at the Jaguar IPC trophy. Uh, I've had uh, links, well, someone come to me and say that James Rossiter will be driving in the series next year. That's brilliant news. Um, which is exciting. James Rossiter is obviously DS to Cheetah's reserve driver. He's done a lot of test work for them. And he tested in Formula He was the test driver for Force India in Formula One for ages. Very talented driver. Um, so yeah, that's basically been my uh, my uh, big piece of the the month, really. But other than that, there hasn't been much. We've heard uh, reports that Antonio Felix da Costa might be replacing Modera as well at DS the Cheetah, but um, nothing yet. And we'll find out, won't we? We will indeed. Now, I've just got one question around the Tachita James Rossiter. Uh, are they looking at two cars for next season uh, and continuing with Adam Carroll, or are they still on the one car? Do you know? I think it's going to be a two-car thing. It was apparently supposed to be a two-car um, team for season one. Uh, obviously, the uh, the team was announced at the 13th hour before the Adaria opener, and that was Stefan Radzinski. Um, but, yeah, apparently they were looking at doing a second car for the European leg, uh, allegedly with Rossiter potentially in. 
but that didn't work out. But for season two, it looks fairly set that he'll be at the team and there will be two cars. Who the second driver will be, no one knows. We obviously saw um, Adam Carroll in, in Berlin, uh, re- replacing Radzinski apparently for that one round. And then the team didn't race at all in New York due to administrative issues. Uh, another Motorsport Week exclusive. But full of exclusives. Full well, of exclusives. Um, hope, I hope that uh, Alice Powell can get in the series. And yeah. I tweeted her saying, hey, really good race uh, in W Series. Any chance that you're going to be on the grid in, uh, in the IPC trophy? And she actually got back to me, which is yeah. cool. Yeah. But, but uh, no real indication as yet. So we're, I'm, I'm still hopeful. I hope so. We'll see a bigger grid for sure, though. It looks at about 17 cars on e-racing 365. But I, I can't wait to see who joins this series because drivers are reluctant to join a series in its maiden voyage. Because racing series die, you know, every every month or so, and it's such a high risk, high risk uh, form. And we could see some really cool drivers join this series because I think drivers will use it as a feeder series two F one, two F one to Formula E. Um, and yeah, that's what James Barkley said. He goes, I think we'll like try and use this as a feeder series to FE, and obviously with James Rossiter. Um, potentially getting a drive there it could be really cool but uh, I, i'm i'm really excited i want to see more teams uh, more drivers more pro drivers more pro-am drivers uh more drivers like Celia martin really you know get drivers with no experience and give them that chance because it is the perfect series to do it uh the races aren't often it's an international championship and uh they are essentially stock cars and you get all the track support yeses from uh, JLR and um, SVO Vehicle Dynamics. So, exciting stuff, really, yeah. Very exciting. Okay, we are going to maybe continue this uh, offline uh, and end the show. But, uh, Jawad, again, it's been awesome to have you on. Absolutely amazing. Um, and it's it's been really cool to be able to talk with you. And thank you for taking the time out of your day. Thank you very much for having me, guys. Been a pleasure yeah. and um, hope to come back on sometime in the future if you guys will have me. Absolutely. Yep. No, it's uh, an open invitation. Yeah, great to have you on. Cheers. Uh, if you would like to talk with us further, we can be found on Facebook, Twitter, uh, all the social medias, uh, or you can email us at hello at regenracingpodcast.com, uh, which you can find all the links on there. Uh, you can also listen to us on the website and there's a nice big uh, play button. We would love to chat with you, talk about anything. I think um, Chris and I both just will we'll talk to anyone about uh, motorsport. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a given. Have a good week and we'll talk to you soon.